be in Genesis 39, the whole chapter. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him for the, from the Ishmaelites, who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused that all he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight, and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house, and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house, and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had, in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put me, put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in, his, in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. Now then, can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day, when he was in the house to do his work, none of the men of the house were there in the house. She caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand, and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, This is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled, and Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it successful. Let's pray. Lord God, as we open up your word this morning, as we look at what it says, as I attempt to communicate that well, I pray that your spirit would, um, would use the words that you have uh, prepared, that your spirit would open up 
our hearts and our minds to see uh, what it is that, that you are wanting um, for us and from us in this passage. Lord, that you would encourage us rightly. Uh, and Lord, if there are, be sinful things in our life, Lord, that you would convict us, that we might uh, find your mercy in that. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. There's a scene from the deeply philosophical piece of cinema, Napoleon Dynamite, where Uncle Rico recounts his glory days of high school football. Now, I don't usually use scenes from movies as illustrations, but this one, I think, has become so ubiquitous in our society. People who haven't even seen the movie uh, understand the reference. Wow. Um, In the scene, Uncle Rico is describing how he could throw a football over these mountains, right? And if the coach, if his coach had just put him in, they they would have won the state championship, right? You all know the scene. We'd have won state. And we laugh at that scene because of how ridiculous it is. And yet, in a humorous way, I think it's tapping into a very real thing in our thinking, something that perhaps we don't even recognize, but it's there. You know, this way of thinking starts by telling people things like, hey, you can be whatever you want to be. And it progresses because we begin to communicate something like, you know, your true self, the goal Uh, You know, I should say, you know what your true self is. And the goal of life is to become that true self. To be that thing that you know you want to be, and if you know you want to be it, then that must be the true you, and your success in life, your satisfaction, all of these things are all wrapped up in finding that thing deep inside of you and bringing it forward and manifesting it and making it reality. That is what life is about. People like Uncle Rico's coach, well, they are just keeping him down from being his true person, the state champion quarterback. Things around us are in any way, in the way, of us being the truest you that you can be, then the best thing to do is to get rid of them. To shed those shackles that are keeping you back. Because in this new way of thinking, the greatest wrong that can be done is keeping the Uncle Ricos from becoming who they believe they really are. And this kind of thinking is so pervasive in our society, we often don't even realize that we're doing it. We often don't even realize that is going on. But in our passage today, it challenges these assumptions. Joseph is on a roller coaster of circumstances that are out of his control, right? He goes from slave to success, from entrusted to imprisoned, and back again. Can you imagine if his, if Joseph's framework for life 
for his purpose, for his being as a human, ran through the Uncle Rico filter. Now wonder, we are in a world that's filled with people who are depressed and anxious all the time. In fact, the movie even rightly depicts Uncle Rico as arrogant and selfish because this way of thinking automatically lends itself to us being arrogant and selfish and absurdly inward-looking rather than concerning ourselves with what's happening out here, rather than looking upward even. It's inevitable. All of that is inevitable if we think that life is about our personal satisfaction and happiness and getting it. What I want to show you from the text today is that these circumstances and the circumstances in Joseph's life, and frankly, the circumstances in your life, don't make Joseph who he is. And your circumstances, they don't make you who you are. Nor do they keep you from being who you are or keep Joseph from being who he is. The most important thing about Joseph, understand, isn't Joseph. It's found in these simple words that we'll see at the beginning and at the end of the chapter. And listen, when you're reading the Bible and there's a particular unit, a particular story or a unit of thought, and you find the same thing repeated at the very beginning and repeated again at the very end, you should clue your mind, that should clue you into that thing being an important thing for the text. And so what do we see at the beginning and at the end of this chapter? We see this phrase, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. And that's reflected not only in God's succeeding Joseph, but also in Joseph's faithfulness to God when everything goes wrong. So if God is with us, the question for us today is, are we faithful? Are we faithful? Are we faithful in the tasks before us? That'll be point one. Are we faithful in the temptations before us? That'll be point two. And are we faithful in the troubles before us? That'll be point three. So let's jump into the text. We remember that Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery, and then we kind of took this uh, uh, detour through the life of Judah, so we kind of get some context there so that when we come back through Joseph's perspective, it all makes sense, right? And we get back to Joseph, and he's sold to Potiphar. You remember the promise that Joseph had received that his family would bow down to him, and our assumption is that the assumption is that he would be over his father's house. I mean, he did have the robe, remember, and everything. But instead of that happening, what we find is that Joseph ends up a slave in the house of Potiphar, a pretty high-ranking official in Egypt. Now, when Joseph met with his life coach, if this was a thing that they did back then, my guess is that this would not be part of the, the life coach's plan for his life. You know, like, oh, your whole family's going to bow down to you. Well, here's the, the goals that we have for you, and here's what we're going to... Like, this isn't part of the plan, right? This isn't part of the, 
plan. And you can imagine if Joseph was Uncle Rico in front of his van going, well, if my brothers hadn't sold me into slavery, you know, I would have thrown this football over the mountains or whatever. Instead, instead, from day one, what do we see in Joseph's life? He sets to his work. Though he's unjustly become a slave, he sets himself to the work that God has put before him, to the task that God has given him. And it says that he succeeds. In fact, it says that he, he then works in the house, which most likely means that he was at some point promoted from the fields because he was doing such a good job in the fields, they brought him into the house. And then what does it say? Because he was in the house, Potiphar sees how good a work he does, and Potiphar says, hey, why don't you just attend directly to me because everything you do seems to succeed. And then that goes so well, he's so good at that, then what does Potiphar do? He says, actually, not only do I want you to attend to me, I want you to be over everything in my house, so much so that Potiphar only worries about one thing, what he's going to eat. So much so that later, when Joseph's talking to Potiphar's wife, he says, Not even Potiphar is as great in his own house as I am. The only thing that he's held back from me is you. We focus on this part, I think, as we read this story, that that Joseph becomes so great in being over everything, and we think, well, that's not too bad, right? I mean, it stinks that he got sold into slavery, but like, like things are going pretty well, for Joseph, and all things considered, things are going pretty well. But I would want you to remember first that these few verses probably condense a number of years into just a couple of verses. So it's not like he showed up and he's working in the fields, and the next week they're like, hey, actually come into the house. And the next week they're like, hey, you know, actually, could you be my personal attendant? We're talking about years of hard labor and work, and Joseph faithfully doing whatever is put before him by Potiphar and doing it faithfully and succeeding in it and finally being seen as being, as being successful and being promoted, etc., 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 okay? Second, the dude's still a slave. That's not part of the dream. That wasn't part of the original dream. He was supposed to be over his family, not over Potiphar's house. He was supposed to be a son, not a slave. He was supposed to inherit his, his portion from his father, not inherit nothing. So when you consider the reality of it, though he's succeeding, though he's over everything, it's actually quite surprising the diligence that Joseph puts in when he knows that in the end he'll get nothing out of it. And we've all had work, we've all had to work a job or complete a task that we didn't want to do, right? Every one of us, they're like, oh man, I don't really like this job, but I need to make some money, so here we go. You've heard of this new thing. Uh, I, I, I've just kind of heard of this uh, new thing that they that I guess is on TikTok. I don't know, called quiet quitting. Have you heard of this? Quiet quitting. Yeah, don't be, don't be too avid about it because I'm about ready to destroy it. <laughs> where where you do the bare minimum to get by in your job. 
That's, that's, I, I, as I understand it, that's the basic premise. Quiet quitting is you don't actually quit your job. You just quit doing anything. You quit working hard. You just do the bare minimum to keep your job because why ought you do anything more because they ain't paying you to do it anyways. It's kind of the attitude. Well, apparently Joseph didn't have TikTok. Also, that idea is completely unbiblical. Let me just tell you. As Christians, we ought to work harder than anyone else, whether we get paid for it or not, because our motivation is different than the world's. Listen to what Colossians 3 says. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. This, is, this passage is written to slaves about how they ought to relate to their masters. Joseph is doing this before it's ever written. In fact, probably Paul is thinking of Joseph and his story as he's writing this passage to the church there. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance. Joseph, you will receive no inheritance in the house of Potiphar, even though you thought you would receive this great inheritance in your father's house. But the inheritance doesn't come from Potiphar, nor does it come from your father. It comes from your heavenly father. You will receive from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Do you realize that every day when you go to your job, whatever your job is, you are serving the Lord Christ if you are a Christ follower? You're not serving those people. I mean, you are serving other people, but you're serving them because you're serving the Lord. When you understand the reason you were created was to glorify God, not to have personal satisfaction or personal happiness, and that God providentially puts you in the places you are in, moves you to other places, then regardless of slave or success, whatever the work is or whatever the position is, whatever you set your hand to, the work is work that God's given you, and you ought to do it as to the Lord. Even if it doesn't bring you money or notoriety that you think it ought or whatever you think you deserve in that moment. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that there aren't times to change jobs or God moves you somewhere else or do something else, but whatever you are doing today, whatever you are doing on Monday or on Tuesday or on Friday, do it to the Lord. Without, without that kind of thinking, that we live and we do our tasks to the glory of God, we'd miss the best point in the text. You see, God promised Abraham that he would bless those who blessed Abraham and his offspring, of which is Joseph, right? And what we see here is that God blesses Joseph, and he blesses Joseph so much that it becomes a blessing to Potiphar, and Potiphar blesses Joseph then, and because Potiphar blesses Joseph, God blesses Potiphar even more. We see the beginning of the fulfillment of that promise in the life of Joseph, even as he's a slave. And so if your work, if God succeeds you in your work, 
And because of your success, whatever business, whatever business person or whatever boss that you have succeeds because you're succeeding, you shouldn't look at that and say, well, how dare that they succeed off of the work of my hand? You should look at it and say, praise God. Praise God that he is with me and he blesses me. And because he blesses me, he blesses them. See, if you say you will work heartily once the work matches what you think you should be doing. Oh, I'll work hard, God, when the work you give me matches what I think I should be doing. Or when the position matches the position I think I ought to have. Or when my authority or my whatever matches what I think I should have here. If you wait until that moment, you'll never get it. A someone... I heard, once said, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. If you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? That someone is Jesus, if you didn't realize. Jesus said that. And so Joseph's faithful work in the field becomes faithful work in the house, becomes faithful work under Potiphar, becomes faithful work over the whole house. And listen, I want to look forward for a second. There may not be a lot that would have prepared Joseph better for the kind of leadership and management skills that he will need to literally save the known world in a few years in his own family than to be over a massive household of a high-ranking Egyptian official. You see, here's what I want you to get here. If the Lord is with us, the Lord prepares us. What you are doing now, if you do it to God's glory, will prepare you for what's next, whether or not what's next is actually what you think is best. Because what you think is best, turns out, doesn't matter that much in comparison to what God thinks is best. At least that's been the story of my life. And so the second question that we have is this. Are we faithful in the temptations before us? And this is the middle and really the major section of our story. Potiphar's wife takes a liking to Joseph. He's handsome in form and appearance like his mom was. Joseph, you know, he didn't ask for this. But rarely do we get to decide when and how temptations come, right? Rarely are we sitting around going like, ooh, I'd really love to be tempted right now. That would be great. Rarely do we have control over our tempters. And even though he refuses her, her advances are unrelenting. It says day by day by day, she keeps doing this. She keeps tempting him. And you've had tempting temptations that are unrelenting, right? And see, we have a knack for justifying our sin. Do we not? We have a knack for justifying in our heads what the sin that our hearts actually desire and making it look like it's somehow reasonable, somehow not as bad as it really is. And Joseph could have thought to himself, well, this guy, this guy Potiphar, I mean, he's already wronged me, keeping me as a slave, buying me, that's wrong, that's sinful. And he's keeping me as a slave even though he knows that I was stolen and brought here. 
Now I'm in charge of everything. I faithfully served him. I'm in charge of everything in his house. He doesn't even, he hardly even worries about what he's got to eat. He doesn't have to do anything. And he's profiting off of my hard labor. Why shouldn't I have his wife as well? He cares so little for his own household, he probably doesn't care for her anyways. It's probably better for her. I'd actually love her. This is how we justify things in our own head, you see. After all Joseph's been through, I mean, doesn't he deserve a little pleasure, right? But Joseph, he's been faithful in in Potiphar's house. He's been faithful in Potiphar's house for the Lord's sake. And that faithfulness has trained him, trained him to be faithful to God and trained him to be faithful to Potiphar as an authority God has put over him. And so what is, what's the kind of reasoning that Joseph comes up with? Well, let's look in the text. First, he says, quote, he, Potiphar, has put everything in my charge. It would be a betrayal of trust, the trust given to him by Potiphar to do this sin. It doesn't matter if we think it's fair or not that Joseph is in the position that he's in, because ultimately it's not about the relationship between Potiphar and Joseph. It's about the relationship between Joseph and the Lord. Next aspect of his, of Joseph's thinking in this temptation, he says, quote, because you are his wife. It would be a violation of the covenant of marriage. It doesn't matter that they are a pagan people and that they don't know that God said at, crea- what God said at creation about marriage. That doesn't matter because it is woven into the very fabric of creation and into the very essence of our heart that this is right or this is wrong. And so it would be wrong for him to violate that covenant of marriage. How could Joseph go against this good gift of marriage from God. Finally, he says, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? You see, ultimately, I want you to understand your sin, if you lie to someone, you cheat someone, you steal from someone, it's a sin against that person. But ultimately, and more importantly, Each one of those are a sin against a perfect and holy God. A sin against a God who's given you everything that you have. You've rebelled against that. And that ought to be our greatest reason to not sin. It is the presence of God that ultimately keeps Joseph from sinning. You see, we've all felt treated unfairly in life or in work or in our family. But if anyone's situation is truly unjust, it's Joseph, right? If anyone has been dealt a truly unjust hand, it's Joseph. The guy has been faithful from from being a, a, a child. He's been faithful to his dad. He's been faithful to Potiphar. He's been faithful to God, and he's been treated this way. He's been far more faithful than you or I are, but his eyes aren't on the injustice in order to justify some pursuit of relief or some pursuit of pleasure. His eyes are on God who has been present with him through every injustice. 
And that helps him to see clearly just how wrong this sin would be. To understand that the worst part of any sin is the sin against God himself. You see, Christian, you, you are able to resist temptation. If you are a believer, then as our question, our, our, our catechism question said earlier, you have the Holy Spirit in you. The Lord is with you. And he is able. In fact, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says this, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your own ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. See, Joseph's time of active obedience in serving Potiphar has prepared him to be obedient to not sin. Understand, your faithfulness in doing the things that God says for you to do will prepare you to not do the things he says not to do. I'll tell you this. The more that I'm bored, the more bored I am, the more likely I am to succumb to temptation. I don't know if anyone else has experienced that. The more that I don't have something for my hands to do, the more that my hands will find things that they ought not to do. The more that I don't do the things that God has called me to do, the more opportunity I have to do the things He's called me not to do. You see, I don't have much time to actively sin if I'm actively pursuing God. Additionally, the more I realize, the more I apprehend the presence of God with me in every moment, the more that I realize, first, just how holy God is, and second, just how much He's done for me. And that, over time, it reshapes our hearts. It reshapes our affections. The more we realize how holy He is, the more repulsive sin becomes to us. The more we realize how much He's blessed us, the less attractive sin and its lies it's lies about what it'll give us and it can't actually follow through on, the less attractive they become because we know, no, God is the source of everything that's good. Listen, if the Lord is with us, He protects us. He makes us able to be faithful. Even still, even still, I want you to see this, even still, Joseph's obedience doesn't produce an immediately good situation. It's not as if he does what he ought to do and suddenly God makes everything work out. No, actually, it kind of gets worse before it gets better, right? Joseph does the right thing, and once again, he's stripped of his clothing, lied about, and put in the pit. This time, a jail. We look at this and we think, Joseph did the right thing, and God did not protect him. But that's because of a deficiency both in our priorities and in our perspective. You see, we prioritize protection from jail over protection from sinning because we don't actually see sin as the evil it truly is. We look at that and we go, well, I would rather have sinned than have gone to jail. God will forgive me anyways. But that's because our priorities are messed up. And we lack the perspective to see how everything will ultimately play out. The reminder is, 
The reminder to us here is that if the Lord is with us, he protects us. So, so obeying God is always the best option in every single situation, even if it doesn't mean that the direct and immediate consequence of our actions will always seem the best to us. You see, trouble still may come, even if you're obedient. And this is the last question that we have for, for ourselves this morning. Are we faithful in the troubles before us? Of course, Potiphar's wife lies. Of course, that's what's going to happen. And, and, and Potiphar put, is put in, uh, puts Joseph in jail. And while the punishment could have been much worse, he could have been executed on the spot. And God is certainly protecting him in that. The reality is, is he's still an innocent man who's wrongfully charged. And you might wonder if, suffering so much in his life already, perhaps Joseph is ready to throw in the towel. Enough is enough. Being faithful to God, being faithful to his father, being faithful to his master has not turned out well for him. Maybe the problem is Joseph is trying to be the wrong guy. He's trying to be faithful son. And that's not working out. Faithfulness to God seems to have set him back right? Maybe God is part of the problem then. Maybe obedience to God's will is actually repressive. The chains that keep him from being who he really is, the one who his family will bow down to, now they're not just figurative, they're literal, right? But what does Joseph do? He does not throw in the towel because that's not who he is. Who he is doesn't have to do with what position he has, what job he has, where he is, what people think about him, or what he's accused of. In fact, who he is doesn't seem to be of much concern to him or to our text at all. The concern of the text is who is with him. As verse 21 says, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. The Lord gives him success and favor. And the keeper of the prison puts him in charge of all the prisoners. In fact, he puts him in charge of everything. And it says that the keeper of the prisoner doesn't even pay attention to anything in his own prison. I don't even know how that works, right? You would think that if he's paying attention to nothing, that Joseph has the keys and could just walk out. But interestingly, he doesn't. Here's what I want you to see here. If the Lord is with us, then the Lord guides us. If you're a believer, whatever troubles you're going through, however that's working out, the Lord is guiding you. These troubles, they look insurmountable, but troubles are just troubles when God is with you. I think about Joseph here for a second. If he isn't given a dream, he probably isn't sold into slavery, right? And if he isn't sold into slavery, he probably doesn't become important in Joseph's or in Potiphar's house. And if he doesn't become important, then he probably isn't noticed by Potiphar's wife. And if Potiphar's wife doesn't come at him, then he doesn't flee and leave his garment. And if he doesn't flee and leave his garment, then he's probably not falsely accused and thrown into prison. And if he isn't thrown into prison, then he probably isn't put in charge of all the prisoners. And what we're going to see in the following chapters is if he's not in charge of all the prisoners, he won't meet a few important ones that will eventually introduce him to Pharaoh. And he won't be put in charge of the whole nation. And he won't save Egypt. And he won't save his family. 
You see, the life of Joseph in this text, it follows the journey of being exalted and then being humiliated and being exalted again. And it's a journey that we see in the life of Jesus, right? Jesus, who, who was God, but came in human flesh to be with us. Not merely just to be with us, because, you know, she wants to be our buddy and live alongside of us, but to live the faithful life that we failed to live and take on himself the death that we deserve for all those who would come to know him. And then he didn't stay dead. He didn't stay in the pit. And though he made himself a servant, the father raised him up and exalted him above all things. But that's we're not quite there in Joseph's story yet. But because he's exalted, he sends his spirit to be with us. Spirit of God resides in you, believer. Wherever you are, whatever task you put your hand to, whatever temptation you're facing, whatever trouble you're going through, the Holy Spirit, God himself, is with you you in that. Hebrews 2, 17 and 18 tell us that Christ, Christ was made to be like his brothers, flesh and blood. So that not only could he deal with the sins we've committed, but also it says, quote, because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Do you understand? in the temptations, in the tasks, and the troubles that you're experiencing, God is able, because He is God with us, He is able to help you in those things as well. You can do those difficult tasks because He's done difficult tasks and He's with you. You can face those temptations because He's faced temptation and He's with you. You can endure those troubles because he endured troubles, even troubles for you, and he's with you. If the things that have happened in your life didn't happen, then God wouldn't have guided you here to a church that didn't exist four years ago, hearing this sermon telling you that the Lord is with you, and by comparison, there just isn't anything else that matters. So let me ask you this. Is the Lord with you? Has the Spirit of God convicted you of your sin and brought you to repentance? Have you come to the Son of God, placing all of your faith in Him and Him alone, trusting His words that all who come to Him, He will never cast out? Friends, if, if you have not done that, there is nothing more important. There's nothing more important in this life. No job, no position, no pleasure. There's nothing more important than whether or not the Lord is with you. And as we celebrate Proclaim's fourth anniversary today, I think there's a corporate aspect of this as well. You see, in 2016, we moved here to prepare to plant a church somewhere in Kansas City. And that was a, the dream, if you will, I guess, if I can use that analogy that God gave us. 
And one of the primary prayers that I began praying at that time was from Exodus 33, 15, where Moses says to God, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, and I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth? You see, we did not want to leave where we were, come here to plant the church, if God was not going before us to do that work. If it was not God doing the work, if it was merely us doing the work. And it just so happened that God was already going before us, preparing for a church right here. And on September 9th, 2018, we had our first service in the YMCA. And if you were there and you're still here now, God bless you. There are others who were with us, who helped us, and whom God has moved on. But we're thankful for what God did through them and what God did in them through Proclaim. And even though it's sad at times to see people move away, I'm reminded that from the start, we had said, this is not about our kingdom. This is not about Proclaim's kingdom. This is about God's kingdom. It's about God's kingdom. It's about His glory. And there have been hard tasks, and the Lord continues to put a task ahead of us to make His name known in the city, in this community, and in the world. And there have been temptations, and some have been fled, and some have been fallen into, I know. And there will be temptations in the future. And there have been troubles. And there'll be troubles again. And there have been moments of exaltation and moments of humiliation. But we must, in all of this, continue to turn our eyes heavenward and say to one another, the Lord is with us. Let us be faithful.